Welcome to Taft Talks, a podcast from the Modern Law Firm. In this ongoing series, Taft Talks Probate, Minneapolis private client partner Bob McLeod discusses hot topics and timely information surrounding private client litigation for trusts, wills, guardianships and conservatorships, and more. Hello, everyone. I'm Bob McLeod, and on today's episode of Taft Talks Probate, we're going to discuss the case of Zika versus Elder Care of Minnesota, which is a court of appeals case that discusses guardianship immunity under Minnesota Statute 524.5-313. So let's get started. Obviously, this case doesn't sound very sexy, but the facts are important, although we don't know a whole lot because the case was not fully litigated and it's going up on appeal to the Supreme Court, and we'll see what happens here. But in general, claims were brought against a guardian after the person subject to guardian's death, and the claims included the failure to monitor the person subject to guardian's care after the person subject to guardianship was sexually assaulted, It alleged uh, failing to provide care, comfort, and rehabilitation care and services to the person subject to guardianship after the assault, failing to inform the person subject to guardianships, some of their family, of the assault, and withholding the person subject to guardianships health information from some members of the family. But specifically at issue is whether the guardian was immune of liability for negligence under Minnesota Statute 524.5-313C2. Now, this became a matter of technical reading of the statute. There's no doubt that some tragic things may have taken place here if all these facts were shown to be true or eventually found true in trial. But the words of the statute are what's at issue. And, of course, that's what the court is concerned about, the words of the statute. Not that they don't care about the well-being of the person who may have been assaulted, but the statute is what's at issue. And what does the statute say? It says the guardian has, quote, the duty to provide for the care, comfort, and maintenance needs of the person subject to guardianship, including food, clothing, shelter, health care, social and recreational requirements, and wherever appropriate, training, education, and habilitation or rehabilitation. The guardian has no duty to pay for these requirements out of personal funds. Whenever possible and appropriate, the guardian should meet these requirements through governmental benefits or services to which the person subject to guardianship is entitled, rather than from the estate of the person subject to guardianship. Failure to satisfy the needs and requirements of this clause shall be grounds for removal of a private guardian, but the guardian shall have no personal or monetary liability. That final phrase is the core of the dispute. I'll say it again. What it says is, failure to satisfy the needs and requirements of this clause shall be grounds for removal of a private guardian but the guardian shall have no personal or monetary liability. So clearly the dispute centers around whether this immunity is just for the financial potential failures of the guardian, such as they didn't acquire the governmental benefits or otherwise provide for these benefits from personal funds or other funds, or whether 
the immunity applies to everything they've done under this clause, the entire clause I quoted. Now, one side argued that the immunity only applies to the money, that they aren't personally liable for paying for, providing for the care, comfort, support, etc., for the person subject to guardianship. And the other side says, no, 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 the statute is very clear. It applies to the entire clause of the statute and that there's no personal or monetary liability for their actions. Now, the Court of Appeals, looking at this, noticed that the terms needs and the term requirements are used throughout the clause and before any reference to the guardian's obligation to seek available government benefits. The clause begins with, quote, the duty to provide for the care, comfort, and maintenance needs of the person subject to guardianship, including food, clothing, shelter, health care, social and recreational requirements, etc. The final sentence then provides that a guardian shall have no liability for failure to satisfy the, quote, needs and requirements of this clause, close quote. The Court of Appeals found that this final sentence is referring to the needs and requirements identified throughout the entire text of this section, 524.5-313C2, and not just the guardian's obligation to secure available government benefits. The Court also went on to find that this statute changed the common law of claims of negligence in a guardianship situation when the guardian is providing care, comfort, and maintenance needs. In other words, the waiver of liability applies to a general claim of negligence if the negligence was due to negligently providing care, comfort, and maintenance needs for the person subject to guardianship. So the Court of Appeals found that the guardian is immune from liability or both common law and statutory failure to provide for the care, comfort, and maintenance needs through negligence, and that the guardian is not financially or personally liable under the statute, period. So it's an interesting review of the statute. It's an interesting review of the common law to the extent it applies, and it is going up on appeal, it appears, to the Minnesota Supreme Court. It has been asked for a review, and we'll see if the court takes it and see what happens from there. But for right now, the guardian has some immunity from liability under 524.5-313C2 if there's some negligence in providing care, comfort, and maintenance needs. The interesting part of this, though, will also be, if the court takes up the issue, of various elements of quasi-immunity, because conservators and guardians act on behalf of the court and by the authority of the court, because the court is given the power to appoint a guardian and conservator, and the court is tasked with supervising a guardian and conservator. So at its core, the court is operating as a guardian and conservator through the appointed fiduciaries, the conservator and the guardian. And so it raises a curious issue of who can be a proper party to raise a claim of negligence on behalf of a person subject to guardianship. Would it only be the person subject to guardianship since they are the party who is harmed? And it, this kind of begs the question of, 
can an interested person in a guardianship and conservatorship pursue a claim on behalf of the person subject to guardianship when it's not their actual claim themselves, as they are not the ones personally harmed, they were not the ones assaulted or otherwise harmed in the action. So it raises an interesting question of standing and who is the proper party to redress damages and whether damages can be awarded on behalf of or by someone other than the person subject to guardianship. There are a whole host of interesting legal nuances that might be triggered by this case and will probably certainly be subject to discussion by advocates and other interested persons as this case rolls forward. It won't surprise me if we see some additional legislation to discuss this issue. Maybe perhaps in a different podcast, I'll have a couple of people sitting around the table and we can talk through these legal issues, uh, which are not easy. And we'll get some different thoughts and perspectives on which way we think the law does apply and which way the law uh, should apply. And what is the proper way to enforce liability or, or immunity, as the case may be, in a guardianship and conservatorship? Thank you for listening to Tap Talks. If you liked this episode, leave us a review and make sure to subscribe to stay up to date with The Modern Law Firm. This podcast provides general information related to the law. Taft Talks is not providing legal advice and does not establish an attorney-client relationship. The opinions expressed on Taft Talks belong to the individual attorneys on the program and do not necessarily reflect the firm's position. For questions and comments, please contact podcast at taftlaw.com. Additional information about Taft can be found at taftlaw.com.